The first trial of the former officers charged in the killing of George Floyd is underway. Police officers are rarely prosecuted in such cases, and the world will be watching. The Minnesota Public Radio newsroom, which has followed this case in detail from the beginning, will bring listeners updates on this monumental trial and the consequences it holds for the city and the country. Listen to In Front of Our Eyes wherever you listen to podcasts. Guys, anything you want to say about how uh, this afternoon went? We thought it went splendid again. Right, Mr. Ng? You think it went splendid? I agree with you. Thank you. We'll see you later. This is 74 Seconds. I'm Tracy Mumford. And that was two of Officer Geronimo Yanez's lawyers, Earl Gray and Paul Ng, talking about how they thought today went splendidly. Today was a big day in court. Yanis took the stand in his own defense. This was the first time he's told his story publicly. And his testimony is one of the biggest pieces of the entire trial. It will be critical to how the jury makes its decision. So let's talk about what he said. Our reporters, John Collins and Reham Fashir, caught up with me when they got back from the court today, and we went back through the night of the shooting. This time from Yanez's perspective, now that we have it. So, it's July 6th, 2016, a hot summer day, and at 9 p.m., Yanez was patrolling near Larpenter Avenue. We learned today that before Yanez even went on patrol while he was at the department's headquarters, he was told explicitly to keep an eye out for the armed robbery suspects from the Super USA incident. There were photos of the suspects up in the squad room. So obviously he had that on his mind. And Yanez was stopped just two blocks from that Super USA when he saw Philando Castile drive through the intersection in front of him. Yanis said he saw Castile in his white Oldsmobile, and he said Castile saw him, and at that point sat up straight in his seat and actually made eye contact with Yanis. Yanis said on the stand, Castile, quote, gave me the deer in the headlights look, and then slumped back as if trying to avoid him. When he was asked what deer in the headlights means exactly, Yanis said it was a law enforcement term. This was the point where Yanez became suspicious of Castile. He noted his resemblance to the armed robbery suspects from the Super USA. He said on the stand, quote, I would call it a strong suspicion. On top of that, he said, Castile's center brake light in the bottom of the back window was out, which gave Yanez the reason he needed to pull him over and get a closer look. 21 to 20. What's your location? Fire. Copy. Okay, we know that then he radioed his partner, Joseph Kauser, and noted that Castile resembled one of the armed robbery suspects. He specifically called out Castile's wide-set nose. And then, if you remember, he also runs Philando Castile's license plate, which comes up with no warrants. After following the Oldsmobile for about a mile, he turned on his lights at 9.04 p.m. He echoed that again today, and this is where those 74 seconds begin. 
Yes, so the lights flash. Castile pulls over. Yanez gets out and approaches the vehicle. Remember, Kowser is there, too, at this point. He approaches and stops at the back right side of the car. And Yanez said in court today that he could see both of Castile's hands as he approached the car. He also said he could smell marijuana, which we'd heard in a previous statement, too. And today we heard him say as he walked up to the driver's side window, he also saw the four-year-old, Diamond Reynolds' daughter, in the back seat. So he knew she was in the car, and he knew where she was in the car. Yes, he did. Okay, so at this point, Yanez's point of view becomes absolutely essential because he can see into the car and we obviously can't. The dash cam footage only shows us what happened from the perspective of Yanez's cruiser, which is parked behind everything. And even Kowser at the back of the Oldsmobile didn't have a clear view of exactly what Yanez saw. Yeah, so once he gets to the window, he said he had a good look at Castile, but he wanted to do more investigation. He said he hadn't made up his mind yet at that point about whether it was just going to be a traffic citation or a ticket for marijuana. That's more details than we'd heard before, that he was weighing his options for a ticket or a citation. And this is when he tells Philando Castile his brake light is out. Then he asks Castile for his license and registration, right? Right. And Yanez said under cross-examination that he does not remember looking at the insurance card when Castile handed it to him. But Yanez does remember very clearly that he then told him, quote, Sir, I have to tell you, I have a firearm on me. And the prosecution asked him directly in court, What went through your mind when you heard the word firearm? And Yanez said, quote, It changes the dynamic of the traffic stop. It puts the officer on high alert. So we're down to the final seven seconds of the stop now. And everything Yanis said today matches what we already knew. But these next seven seconds, they are the most important seven seconds of the entire stop. Because Yanis, he now knows that there's a gun in the car. And something is about to happen that causes him to believe that he's under threat a big enough threat to pull his gun and fire. So today, on the stand, what did he say happened? He says he saw the gun. He definitively said he saw the gun. Yes, he did. That goes further than the statement he made the day after the shooting to the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. In the partial transcript that we've seen of that, he says things like, Castile's hand made like a C-shape. I know he had an object and it was dark. Or, I thought he was reaching for the gun. But this is the first time we've heard Yanez actually say he saw a gun. Did Yanez say specifically when he saw the gun in all this? He said on the stand that he saw it after the first time he told Castile, don't reach for it. He said Castile, quote, immediately interrupted my directions and started reaching down. I could see his right hand in a C-shape. He continued to reach down. He had it out enough so I could see the top of the slide and the back of the tab. And he's talking about the gun there. He could see the back of the gun. Yeah, that's what he said. So then Yanis said, don't pull it out. And this is where, from the dash cam video, we know Castile said, I'm not pulling it out. Yeah, on cross-examination, the prosecution asked Yanis if he heard Castile say that. Yanis said, quote, by that time, I was focused on his hands. I was getting tunnel vision. And also on cross-examination, the prosecution asked Yanez about his instructions to Castile. They asked him, you didn't tell him to stop? You didn't tell him to put his hands up? You didn't tell him don't move? Yanez said no. 
And sometime during this encounter, Yanez said Castile turned his body so that Yanez could no longer see the gun. Then Yanez drew his own gun with his right arm, and he put his left arm inside the vehicle to distract Castile. He put his arm in the car to distract him? That's what he said on the stand. He said, during these moments, quote, I was scared to death. I thought I was going to die. My family was popping in my mind. My wife, my baby girl, I had no other choice. Then he pulled his left arm out of the vehicle, and that's when he began to fire. He said, quote, I directed my fire down and inward, saying that he pointed away from Diamond Reynolds and her daughter. And he fired seven shots. Yes, he did. So a few minutes after the shooting, after other officers have arrived and taken control of the scene, uh, Giannis started talking with another officer about what happened. And a piece of what he said to her that night came up repeatedly in court today. He told her, I don't know where the gun was. Yeah, uh, that statement came up a lot in, in this trial, and it did come up a lot today, too. He clarified today that he meant he didn't know where the gun was until he saw it. After the shooting, after he talked to that officer, he goes back to the St. Anthony Police Department. He did go back to the St. Anthony Police Department. We got a few more details about where he went that night. Um, Another officer drove him to the station. His attorney, Tom Kelly, met him there, as did BCA investigators. The investigators decided not to interview him that night and instead let him go home and get some rest. He said he went home by 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the morning. Okay, so that's Yanez on the details of the night of the shooting. Yeah, he was really calm and collected for the most part up there. But when it came time to talk about the shooting, that's when he broke down and he was crying. He was grabbing tissues off the box that was up at the stand up there. He was gulping water at one point, and his attorneys kept on talking to him, and to a certain degree, it just made it worse. And, I mean, he said, I didn't want to shoot Mr. Castile at all. That was not my intention. So, as we mentioned, Yanez's testimony is obviously key to this case. It presents a different story than the story Diamond Reynolds put forward when questioned by the prosecution. She said on the stand that Philando Castile was reaching for his seatbelt, not his gun. Yanez, as we just walked through now, clearly said he saw Castile reaching for his gun. Jurors have to decide which series of events they believe occurred that night. And based on what they believe, they have to decide if those circumstances made Yana's shooting and killing Philando Castile reasonable. The defense called just two more witnesses after Yanez, another police officer and a BCA investigator, before they rested their case. And as you heard Yanez's lawyer, Earl Gray, say at the top, he thinks things went splendidly. And that's how it ended. All that's left now is closing arguments. The jury went home for the weekend, but not before the judge in the case reminded them. Don't discuss the case. Don't read any news about it. Don't go on social media. Come back Monday at 10.
This podcast is reported by John Collins and Reham Fashir. It's produced by me, Tracy Mumford, and Hans Buto, and it's edited by Meg Martin. For all the updates on the trial, you can follow us on Twitter at 74SecondsMPR or go online to 74Seconds.org. Our theme music is by Joffrey Wilson. 74 Seconds is a production of Minnesota Public Radio News and American Public Media. Tracy from 74 Seconds, and we wanted to let you know that our colleagues at APM Reports just launched the new season of their award-winning podcast, In the Dark. In this second season, they explore a new story with life-or-death consequences. It's the case of four people who were killed in a small town in Mississippi, and the story of why a black man on death row has been tried six times for those murders. You can listen and subscribe to In the Dark on Apple Podcasts.